You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome, fellow diplomats. This is Civil War Diplomacy, a show where we look to uh, ease tensions in the ongoing cold civil war in our political arena by opening up some communication between the various sides. My name is Jordan Jensen. I'm the host and a self-appointed representative for the quote-unquote democratic establishment. My guest on today's episode, I am so excited to have him. It is Mike Detmer. He ran for Congress in 2020 and has already announced that he is running again um, for 2022. Mike, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate Absolute you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah. Do you want to provide a little bit of background of uh, your run in 2020? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was really kind of a interesting couple of years, really. It was it was 2019 and 2020. I started the whole mission running for state representative in Livingston County, um, and then in October of 2019, that switched to a congressional run, and it's just um, it was an amazing journey. But I. I didn't run for public office because I had any ambition to be a politician or to, you know, um, I, I guess my, my ego isn't so big that I thought I was God's gift, uh, you know, to, to politics, but I ran initially because of the state that we're in, you know, and it's um, back then I looked at it. I, I grew up in Michigan, uh, met my wife here, started a family here. Um, and we lived in some different places. I, we, my wife and I chased education for our son, who is profoundly deaf. And so it took us from Michigan to Kansas and then to Florida and then back to Michigan. And I wanted to get involved because I didn't want I, I, I believe Michigan can be an absolute powerhouse. Yeah. And, you know, so that was really the, the onus. But then I looked at my kids, too. I have a special needs son and I have a daughter who's in high school and I, I really want to leave them something better um, than what they, than what we have. And so I started fighting for that. So I ran because I was fighting. And when I lost my primary in 2020 by a very narrow margin, we didn't stop. You know, we just kept going. In fact, um, it's kind of funny. My, after the primary, my, my wife and I were coming back from an event and she looked at me and she says, I thought we were going to slow down after the, uh, the election was over and we, we actually sped up. Uh-huh. And so jumping back into this, th- this race again for 2022, um, I really don't look at it that way because we really haven't slowed up since. And the fight is, in my opinion, even greater than it was before. Yeah. And I don't yeah. care what party you're with. You know, we're, we're, I think we're fighting. Um, good people are fighting for the, the heart, soul, traditions and freedoms of our country. Yeah. And so what other choice do I have as, a, as an American patriot but to stay in the fight? And so at this point, we don't know yet what the congressional districts are going to look like for 2022 as yeah, they will get don't. redrawn. Yes. Um, but arguably, in my perspective, as a Livingston County resident and you also residing in Livingston County and mm-hmm. Livingston County being where during the Republican primary last year, you won a majority of the votes um, You know, compared to the uh, others in the primary. Um, yeah. I, I just I view you as at this point, the front runner, you know, for the Livingston County congressional district, whatever district we happen to end up in um, on the Republican side. And so I, I you know, am keenly watching your campaign just because it, it's interesting to see. And I don't know if others will start to announce uh, before we know what the district looks like or um, if everybody's going to wait until then. But uh, that won't be until the late fall, probably before we know. The yeah, boundary. we're either late fall or early next year. Uh, and I, I heard rumor that they may not uh, do the redistricting this time, but then you have a constitutional issue with that. Yeah. We're in a unique position. My campaign built a lot of momentum in 2020 and we have, and we had, and we still have even bigger ground team now than we even did in 2020. Um, so we're in a position where we can pivot no matter how this district is carved up, if it goes north, if it goes south, if it goes uh, even into Pontiac um, or into Ann Arbor, we can do some, we can, we can pivot for that. And we've got a strategy for outreach. Um, but that's only because we've, uh, we're not starting back from scratch again. You know, right. Livingston County is, is the epicenter. So 
um, we're prepared. Wonderful. Well, well, I am grateful that you uh, are willing to come on the show. And as you know, this is a uh, show where we discuss things that we may have some disagreements on. And I know um, the election integrity was one of the issues that you had, uh, you know, previously said is important to you as, as a um, topic that we could potentially discuss. Um, yes. I wanted to see if there's any any uh, issues that you think we could start with some common ground possibly and, and work our way out from there to you know, where we may find the disagreement or um, if you had just some specific concerns that you would want to see how I could respond to. Everything is so politicized right now. It doesn't matter what what side of the fence you're on. You know, I believe you you agree where you can, you disagree where you must, and you build on what you have. Um, and I, I don't think that there should be any disagreement that there's a problem with confidence in our election system. If we look at the 2016 presidential election, um, you had people from the Democrat Party that were very upset and thought there was Russian collusion and there was election meddling. And then we fast forward to 2020 and it's the same kind of thing on the other side. So we have a fundamental problem here that affects everybody. Right. And I think that you could find, and I, I hate the term bipartisan because as a, as a conservative, what I usually see are other people that either call themselves conservatives or Republicans um, just giving up and caving in to the other side. And so there's this notion that there's this bipartisanship, but it's actually not. It's it's one side um, giving up their their ground for the other, whether it's right or wrong. But I think in this case, there is a bipartisan solution. But again, it's very politicized. We saw what, what Georgia did with their uh, election reforms. And mm -hmm. we had a lot of the left coming out saying that that was disenfranchising African-Americans and other minorities. I think what we have to look at uh, from a federal level, and I think each state needs to do this as well, is look at the entire picture and say, okay, how do we close the loopholes? How do we, how do we stop any possibility of there being any type of election interference or fraud? So whether you're in the camp that says there was none in 2020 or whether you're in the camp that says there was a lot of it, um, there's obviously a problem. So we have to look at ways to close those loopholes, close those uh, opportunities for there to be any type of election fraud whatsoever. Okay. And that's that's where I'm coming at this from. Well, and so I would be coming at it from the other side where I view 2020 as legit. And those who have conducted the audits um, and done the investigations have not uncovered any abnormal um just results or uh, actions or votes that should not have been counted. And so I, I view our, the status quo is fairly secure. Yes, there is the potential for propaganda and outside interference in the campaigning messaging, but I don't view the actual election day actions, activities as being vulnerable uh, to outsiders or um, domestic uh, you know, meddlers who are trying to fraudulently skew the results. Yeah. And now you wouldn't have convinced anybody in the Democrat party that in 2016, because from 2016 through 2020, all we heard about was Russian collusion and election meddling. And you even had Barack Obama uh, in 2016 saying that there was no evidence of any type of outside interference, but you would not convince a rank and file Democrat voter of that because Donald Trump won the election. Well, so either, 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 no matter how you slice that pie, there is a fundamental problem and it, it, it cannot continue. If one side wins, the other side says it was a cheat. That has to stop, whether there's cheating or whether there's not. Now I've seen, you just said that you haven't seen any evidence. I've seen substantial evidence that there were problems all over the country and mainly in places like Detroit and Philadelphia and Atlanta. Um, so that's what needs to be addressed. So that way, all parties, not just not just people in a political party, not just those who consider themselves Republicans or Democrats, but those who also consider themselves libertarians or independents or anything. Everybody needs to have confidence in our election system. And that just that we just need to have some common sense. Uh, it needs to be addressed from a common sense standpoint and say, OK, where where are the weak areas um, where we don't disenfranchise any legal voter? 
Correct. But where we can stop any potential for there being voter fraud. And that way, next time around, um, you know, having forensic audits, this all needs to be done now. The, in in a, lot, a lot of cases, the forensic audits have not been done on a wide scale. They've been done targeted. But I think those need to be done and find any problem areas and fix it. Simple. Okay. Um, first off, just as an aside, um, just the, the name of my party is the Democratic Party. And I know it's a very common mispronunciation that um, some people on the right will call it the Democrat Party. But just so you're aware, it's the Democratic Party because of adjectives. Um, but to get to the difference between 2016 and 2020, I am not aware of any Democratic voters or elected, you know, establishment Democrats who view it as though, I mean, there were some concerns on, on the initial election night, possibly, of the votes not having integrity, but that quickly subsided and people understood that the votes themselves were legit, um, but it was the potential where you had messaging and interference in the campaigning side leading up to election day that foreign actors got involved that that was the concern of the integrity of that election cycle it wasn't and so when the bills in georgia or you know in michigan there's 39 bills that have been uh, introduced to make it more restrictive on election day and the actual process of counting the votes when there is no current problem there in how votes are being verified and accounted for and just now that's, let, let, let me let me just interrupt you for a second there there is a problem there and one thing pat kolbeck has found and he's been working on this just day and day and night 24 7 and he's a he's a tech guy he's looking at uh dominion he's looking at the the voting systems that are out there um, there's a problem with chain of custody that was highlighted right off the bat. And just so you know, none of these, just like the, the court cases that came up that were dismissed, none of these court cases, none of these um, rulings ever said that there was no evidence of voter fraud. There is evidence of voter fraud. What they were dismissed on were grounds, were procedural grounds, not fraud. And so what we have to look at is, okay, there is a problem and there is a problem with chain of custody of these votes. So when the votes are tallied, they're put into a machine. We had um, hundreds and hundreds of sworn affidavits of people that actually worked at these vote centers, these totaling centers and had problems with the machines. So this is, th these are some of the things that have to be addressed, find the root cause of this. So no, I disagree with you that there was no problem with the vote. There was a problem with the vote, and that's that's the item of concern. Well, and that's so, what's going to be addressed. Yes, the courts are not able to say there is no evidence because simply having an affidavit, you know, claiming something is evidence of that thing being a problem. But an affidavit is not proof, and an affidavit. Uh, the example I use just as the potential for why affidavits themselves are kind of meaningless if there's no underlying problem is if you have a poll challenger who's working a precinct that they live in and they sign an affidavit saying that they were there all day and they know a lot of people in their precinct, but most of the people who showed up to vote are people that they don't recognize. And so they you know, really don't think that the people showing up were living in that precinct just because they know their neighbors so well. Somebody could sign an affidavit saying that, that doesn't, and that then constitutes evidence for there being a potential problem. But as soon as it's investigated, and if there was an actual problem, the investigation would uncover it. There's enough safeguards in place that you don't need just to rely on affidavits of people claiming there's a problem that it would be found right. in the numerous safeguards. And it's not just, and it's not just affidavits from people that are um, maybe have never been trained to be a poll worker, which by the way, on, in both, both parties, this is a, a systemic problem is there's a lot of people that signed up to do that. There was very little training on how to do that, but I'm talking about sworn affidavits from people who are experts in the field, especially uh, if you look at Melissa Carone, for instance, her testimony, she worked for Dominion. Um, and she she was a whistleblower on some major issues, but she was dismissed um, because of how she sounded, perhaps, or how she looked. 
and she wasn't taken credibly. And that's a fundamental problem. This is, and this is what, to your point, this is where a, a full forensic audit needs to be done, especially here in the state of Michigan, of not just counties that, that use Dominion, but I would say all counties, the forensic audit needs to be done just to make sure. Now, if, if the full investigations are done, which they have not been, once the full investigations are done and there's, they determine, look, there's no problem here, there's nothing to see here, then that's great. Then everybody's satisfied, but those investigations need to happen. Okay, so there's a paper trail. In Michigan, our ballots are paper ballots. They get tabulated, and there is an audit. And so when you have the audit take place, which has occurred throughout the state, and they count the paper ballot ballots to cross-check it against the machine tabulation, and they find no significant error, that is evidence that the election results maintained integrity, that it, and, that hasn't, and, 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 that, and that hasn't been done. Now, here's another, here's another aspect of this is if you want to look at this from a constitutional standpoint, even if you wanted to get away from, if, if, if two people can't agree on, on a forensic audit, you can look at what our Secretary of State did. Uh, the state legislature is the only one that has the constitutional authority to change any type of election laws in the state of Michigan. And that's, in, and that's true with most states. And what you had was, is, is Jocelyn Benson changing election laws going around the legislature. That needs to be addressed as well. So okay. there's still a number of issues here, I think, to satisfy both. But I'm going to guarantee you this. If, if we don't address this in a, and I'll use the word again, in a bipartisan fashion and do the investigations and close the pro fix the problems, close the loopholes, in, in two to four more years, uh, let's just, we'll say four more years. Let's say President Biden is defeated by whether it's Trump or anybody else uh, in the Republican Party, or even I, I'll say whatever party, if Biden's defeated, you're going to have the same number of Democrats saying that there was an election problem or election fraud uh, because Biden was defeated. That's what I'm talking about. This is something that both sides should be able to agree on, that we have a fundamental problem with election confidence. And, it, and right now, it's very convenient for Democrats to forget that for the last four years, they've been screaming Russian collusion and election interference up until 2020. Which is a different thing than the actual elections themselves not having integrity in the voting system. But how, to is, go it, back, how, is, how is it a different thing? It's the same thing. No, the same argument. To, to say that Russians in interfering in the campaign, in actual messaging and putting out ads or propaganda that influenced the campaigning that then potentially influenced voters. That is not the same thing as accusing Russia of changing votes at the machines, which is not what the Democrats were doing for four years. They were saying that well, Russia okay. interfered in the messaging, which is a illegal and also shown in the Mueller report as correct. So, so that I would have to say that an investigation needs to be on social media giants like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for their meddling in this last election by censoring Republicans and conservatives. I, I'm not opposed to <laughs> taking on the big tech companies. One thing you had said, though, is that a audit has not occurred, and that is just factually not true. I mean, a, a forensic audit. audit Forensic, a forensic okay. audit across the state has not happened, no. So if you're going to move the goalposts and need a more thorough audit, yeah, that's always going to, you can always move the goalposts further. But if there wasn't- I haven't moved the, goal, I, I haven't but, moved the goalpost. Right. I've, I've been saying since the beginning of forensic audit, I haven't moved the goalpost. A forensic audit actually gets into the nuts and bolts. It determines whether or not any of these machines were connected to the internet or not. When, for instance, Dominion says that their machines can't be connected, and we know that that's factually incorrect. So we need to find out. And then the other question is, and this is something that, that Pat Kolbeck under, uh, uncovered was, nobody could answer the question how the data got to point A to point B. Where was it? Who was in charge of it? Um, to get then to the final result, getting to the Secretary of State, for instance, as a final number count, nobody can answer his questions as to how the data got there. Okay. So if, if there's no answers to those questions and there's a problem, um, we have to address that. There needs to be a solid chain of custody of every single vote from start to finish. If there is a problem, but 
if there was a problem, the safeguards that were routinely implemented after this election, the audits and the various events that occur after every election, those would have uncovered evidence of a problem if there was a problem. The lack of them uncovering anything is near proof that there was no problem. Because you cannot say that, oh, you just needed to continue to look more and more and until you look at every single precinct across the state and count every single paper ballot, you could still then claim that there's a problem, even though there has been no problem found at any precinct where they did hand count the ballots? Well, again, there have been problems. There have been problems all over the state. What, and, state, what, and, what precinct found a significant difference between the hand-counted results of the paper ballots and the electrical tabulation from the machine. If that's what you're well, claiming, Antrim, Antrim, was the Antrim, problem. Antrim, Antrim County is Exhibit A. And Antrim County is Exhibit A. And, and, but that's exactly what I'm saying is the hand-counted ballots exactly matched the tabulated results from the machine. Now, you had a reporting error because that clerk didn't update their software, but that as soon as you have the actual unofficial numbers even, and then you cross them, cross-reference them with the hand-counted ballots and they line up, what is, where is the problem then? Like, I don't understand. The results are correct. Right. But it has not been done on a forensic level across the entire state. But why is there a and, need? And I, I guess here's, here's, here's my, here's, Here's here's my here's my point to you. You are not going to satisfy, and I understand your position. I, I completely understand your position, but you are not going to satisfy the other side of the aisle until that's done. So if we're all going to get back to trying to work together and have faith in our election systems, you have to do this. But so you, it's, it's not about it's not about it's not about it's not about just keep moving the goalpost, but it needs to be an open, honest investigation, forensic investigation, and I would even suggest that we have uh, asked the federal government to come in and do it versus having the state do it or even an independent agency from one side or the other, or you could even hire an independent agency. It's going to cost money either way and, and do it publicly and release the results. And I think that then would satisfy the voters, at least on the Republican side of the aisle or the conservative side of the aisle. Um, and I don't understand, I guess, this is my question. If there's nothing to hide, if there is no problem, then there should be no issue with, with uh, going forward with that type of an in-depth forensic audit on everything, from the voting systems to the paper ballots and how they arrive. Right. And that's something else, too. We have an issue even in, in, the, in Wayne County and the city of Detroit. I have a list, and I'll be happy to share it with you. I share it on social media. I have a list of dead voters who actually you can go into Wayne County's um, uh, clerk's office and pull up a voter. I have a list of thousands of people that are supposedly dead. Maybe they're still alive, but they're, they have death certificates who show that they voted. And then you also have a list of people that are well over hundred years old um, that are unverified, whether they're alive or dead voting in Wayne County. So you have a problem there. Now, what I've heard time and time again is, well, that's Wayne County, that's Detroit, that's been happening for years. It's not enough to affect the outcome of election. So there's nothing to see here. And that's complete bunk. Okay, so that's not at all what the left is saying, though, with regard to oh. those. The left is saying hmm. that right. when you take any specific case and you, as soon as you look into it, be you know, below surface level, you'll see that it was handled properly. So, for instance, there was a report of in the August primary last year of a large number of um, voters that died between when they sent in their absentee ballot and then Election Day. And so then the secretary of state caught that the, those ballots because those people had died before Election Day and you know rejected them. And then people were using those as evidence of dead people voting. Whereas, okay, well, what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is the list. Um, these are votes that were actual t actually tabulated and were in the final count. These were not votes that were thrown out by the Secretary of State. Okay. So and we're talking so about two, two separate verified as people as the people who you are 
who actually died or just people with the same name as a deceased person because there's well very easy but and that's all you need and is specific you're going examples that have been shown to back and up there, what you're and, saying but and, you don't have that you, you just have the accusations and there you go. So you have the word of one person saying, oh, well, it's just it was a, a misunderstanding. It was somebody who's really still alive, but it was misconstrued as somebody that was dead, even though it was the same address. It was the same name. It was the same everything. And they died in 1936. Um, so, again, this goes to the reason for a forensic audit. The other thing, too, that I'd like to see disappear is this any reason mail in voting. What? Again, it opens up to massive, massive problems. If you are a legal registered voter in the state of Michigan or really anywhere in the country, what is the problem with showing up on election day to vote? Unless you have to be, if, if you're serving in the military or maybe you're a military contractor and you have to be out of country, that is the only reason in the past that you would have the option to send in an absentee ballot. But this idea that was pitched during the last election was it was much safer to just mail in your ballot because of COVID than actually going to a polling place, which was crazy because the same people that refused to go into a polling place but would rather do it with a mail-in ballot. And then you have ballot harvesting, which is another whole issue, which is a problem and needs to be uh, made illegal on a national basis. Um, th these are the same people that would go and shop at, at, at the grocery store. Um, so if you can go grocery shopping in person, why couldn't you go vote in person? Okay. So this so, is another area that we need to clean up is, is get rid of this, uh, any reason mail-in voting. Oh, and I would love to have, um, and I'm working on the details for this to make sure that nobody that's legal gets disenfranchised as a national voter ID, period. Okay. So for the first off though, I really want to delve into, yeah, the no reason absentee voting before I, I want to go back real quick. What do you think that a forensic audit a, that meets your level of scrutiny, what do you think it could possibly uncover about our election that wouldn't be uncoverable from the audits that have already occurred? Well, I think a forensic audit, and, and again, I don't know what it would turn up. Maybe it turns up nothing. But a forensic audit, if it's going to turn up anything at all, it's going to at least show us um, the chain of command or chain of custody for each vote. It's going to show us if there were any glitches, if there were any problems, if there was a, a programming error like we had in Antrim County. Uh, it's going to show us any of those things in depth of how everything works. Uh, and I'll give you an example. During the primary, I did contact a couple of our clerk's offices around uh, uh, the Ingham County clerk and then a, a couple township clerks. Um, to get a schematic on how their voting machines work, how and I couldn't get it. Nobody had it. So these are the things that I think need to be done. And that only then can the legislature, the state legislature, then look at it intelligently and say, okay, um, this is what the forensic audit statewide turned up. This is an area that we need to look at to secure this, to make sure that nobody's disenfranchised and only legal votes are counted accurately. But if there was a problem that was uncoverable by a deep forensic analysis that you're calling for it would also be uncoverable by the audits and safeguards already in place and that's where i i don't object to a more thorough audit but it seems to be at least from my perspective just cost with no actual potential for benefit because the benefit doesn't exist if it wouldn't possibly turn up anything that wouldn't already be uncovered from the audit. Well, if you don't think if you don't if you don't think restoring the confidence of all voters, not just one side as a benefit, then we we I think I think we've exhausted this conversation. Okay. On this, can we on get this to topic. the no reason yeah, can we get to the no reason absentee voting? Yeah. Okay, because thirty percent of Livingston County voters prior to twenty twenty, um, and prior to the passage of proposal three that um, opened it up to everybody. Sure. 30% of our county's voters voted absentee in mm -hmm. 2016 and, and regularly. Why should those 30% not have had that option? Why have the option to start with? Because, okay, here I, I kind of wanted to go into some voting principles that I have to see if okay. you share them. For instance, like one person, one vote. You know, it's not going to be that our system perfectly creates one person, one vote. As soon as you have representative democracy, you're going to have some 
you know, imperfections there, but equal opportunity to vote. Is that a value that you share? Absolutely. If you are a legal resident of the state and mm -hmm. you have a legal, uh, if you're, you're registered to vote, you legally can register to vote. You, sh you, you absolutely must be allowed to vote period. It doesn't, okay. and it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what your skin color is. doesn't matter what your religion is, your nationality or anything or else. Where you live or any of that. Exactly. exactly. Okay. So somebody who lives out in Howell mm -hmm. versus somebody who lives in Detroit, the person okay. from Howell shows up to vote and 30 minutes they're in and out. They have their ballot cast. Okay. The person who shows up in Detroit having to wait multiple hours in line. Did they have equal opportunity to vote or did the Howell voter have greater opportunity because they didn't have to sacrifice as much to vote? Well, I guess that, that begs the next question. Why would it be uh, so bad in the city of Detroit? Why would the city of Detroit not open up or the state uh, open up more polling places to accommodate more people to come vote? Well, there are. I mean, when you have higher density population, you know, areas yes you have fewer voting tabulation machines per capita out in rural areas you have more voting machines so i mean are you suggesting so i would say, decrease the number of voting machines in livingston county to try to no get i would I, I i would say i would say increase the number of voting machines in a in a more densely populated area so more people can uh go vote okay i we have a we, join we, you we have that. yes yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. I, I think, though, to eliminate the whole and I'll give you another example. Um, during a campaign, mailers are done. A lot of candidates mail a lot of stuff. Yes. Um, we actually mailed out some petitions the last go around to actually even get on the ballot. And I had some people that received the petition in the mail the next day, signed it, sent it back. And I had it back, you know, in two more days. I had other people that were mailed out the same day that it took them two weeks uh, to get their, their, the petition and then another week to get it back to me. And so that, that really creates a problem. What if um, you decided that maybe it's, maybe it's work or anything else, or you forgot whatever it might be. Um, you fill out your ballot and you stick it in the mail and it doesn't arrive in time. Um, you know, there's a problem with that. So I think this whole, this whole issue can be a, a, alleviated by making sure that there are enough polling places and enough tabulating machines for people to go um, do their civic duty and, and exercise their constitutional right to vote. I, I don't think, see yeah. that there should be a problem with that. I think we're going to find common ground here. And I, I'm very happy that we'd have like, that. Yes. Increasing the number of voting machines um, to have, you know, equitable uh, access across the state, um, regardless of, you know, population density, I, I'm fully on board with you there. And I'm on board with the idea that either, you know, that absentee voting should be equally applicable to everybody or restrictive to everybody. I, right. I think what we had prior to 2018, where it was no reason absentee voting for those over 65, but you know, everybody else, you had to have a reason. I didn't like that system. I prefer the status quo now, but if you were to change it to, you know, in-person voting only and nobody gets to vote absentee, I at least respect that as being more principled and consistent than what we had prior to 2018's uh, right. changes. So I, I, at least we can find some area there that I like. I am good with that. Yes. <laughs> Would you want to move on to um, another topic? Yeah, that's fine. Um, is there any that you would want to... Um, you know, because obviously with your campaign, I, I want it to be, you know, that you're able to drive your message um, to into whatever issues you're trying to focus on. Yeah, voting is, is, is a biggie. Um, you know, I, I think for a, a second issue, I'm a big uh, 2A guy, a, a big Second Amendment proponent. But I think moreover than that, it's it's protecting the Constitution. I'm a constitutionalist. Yes. And, you know, I, I believe that that is the one thing that is our, our, our covenant. And whether you are a, a believer in a, a higher being or not, I'm a Christian. Um, and I believe that our, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, that is our, our covenant um, of all of our God-given freedoms. And that needs to be protected. No other country on earth has anything like we have. 
And, you know, if, if we lose it, we lose it. And I think one of the, the toughest things, especially with COVID, is a lot of folks um, have given up or freely um, given up their, their constitutional freedoms. If you want to talk about masks or vaccines, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, um, but I am pro-vaccine choice. I think it's, it's one of those things, if, if you want to go get vaccinated, go get vaccinated. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. But I am, I'm really um, solidly against this idea of, of, of vaccine passports, for instance, or mask mandates. Um, you know, th- those are the things that are, are current relevant events that I'm, I'm really concerned with. Okay. I had somebody ask me the other day, they said, um, you know, what are you going to do to fight COVID? And my response was, well, um, let's let the people that are the, the smart people, the doctors and the virologists fight COVID. What my focus is, is making sure that we, um, I, I don't believe COVID is going to go away anytime soon. I think it's going to be just like uh, uh, any other coronavirus it's going to be with us for a long time. It's just, it's how are we going to live with it and deal with it? But um, our freedoms aren't going to be around for a long time if we don't fight to protect those. So that's really my focus. Um, let's um, protecting- let's then focus on, yeah, let's discuss the second amendment a little bit. If, sure. if you're, yeah. um, Cause my view is I, I don't view the nineties as some dystopian, um, you know, restrictive, like, oh, we don't have freedom in the 90s. Like, I, I now I was younger than obviously we all were. Uh, but like, it seemed to me like the 90s, the gun laws were not so burdensome as to be like, oh my gosh, we got to get rid of these. Do you view the 90s as really that bad when it comes to gun laws? Well, we had a ban on, on salt, uh, what they were considering assault weapons back right. then. And then you also have a whole laundry list of different restrictions that are rarely ever talked about, uh, which really they, they affect a, a great number of people like veterans and so on. Um, and then we had, uh, if we want to fast forward into uh, even uh, Trump's presidency, we had the ban on bump stocks after the shooting. Um, now we have uh, new stuff coming down the pike that we want. They want to outlaw silencers. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, what, what I think a lot of folks, whether in, in, I know a lot of Democrats that are also gun owners, they're hunters, um, you know, and it's one of those things it's people, people say, well, the government's not going to come for my guns, even though it's happened in almost every other country in the world. Um, but what they, what I see happening is it, it, it goes in, in little bits, little bits, little bits, and it's justified. It's well, it's, it's only bump stocks or it's only silencers or it's only, uh, high capacity magazines, or it's, it's only this, it's only, uh, the AR-14s that don't exist that Biden talked about. Um, it's, it's only this, it's only that I so there's a bill going through Congress, or at least it's been, uh, submitted. It hasn't really gained any traction, but it was, it's pretty stout. Like, um, you would have to register all of your firearms, even firearms that, uh, or just display models, you would have to submit uh, a diagram to the federal government of where it's displayed, how it's displayed, uh, what kind of weapon it is. Um, you can't loan a firearm to anybody, uh, even if it's a family member. And if you violate any of these laws or any of these provisions, you know, it's up to 40 years in prison and a half a million dollars in fines. I and mean, it was terrible. But these are the kind of things that I am uh, staunchly opposed to, just like red flag laws. People say, well, what's wrong with that? It's, um, you know, if, if, if you're a, it's kind of a, if you see something, you say something, what's, what's wrong if, if you have a crazy neighbor uh, and, and you're worried that they're going to go shoot up a, a school? Um, the problem with that is, is that it, it gets rid of due process. It's a constitution killer. So if you have a neighbor and they know you have a firearm, maybe they don't like you. Maybe it's something as trivial as that. All they'd have to do is, is call the police. Uh, the police go to a judge. The judge is not going to not rubber stamp it because what if you are uh, some kook that's going to go shoot up a school? Um, the police show up with a warrant. They go in, they confiscate your firearms. And now you, as the firearm owner, have to then prove to the court systems that you are not a menace to society. So in other words, it, it flips due process. It, you're, you're guilty until proven innocent. So these are the things that I see that are coming down the pike and they're coming down fast. That if you're not paying attention, um, you, you, your Second Amendment is, is gone. And I'm a, I'm a purist, especially with the Second Amendment. The okay. right to bear arms shall not be infringed. So, and so we see all kinds of infringements. So let me ask you, do you think the status quo um, restrictions on fully automatic firearms, does that violate the Second Amendment? Yes. 
Okay, and so when you helped lead um, a movement to try to make um, Livingston County a sanctuary county for gun laws, yep. so were you then suggesting that fully automatic firearm laws should not need to be followed or enforced in Livingston County? Nowhere in the Second Amendment does it say that, uh, does it put any type of a parameter? There's no asterisk at the bottom of it that says, uh, except for these type of weapons. Right. It just says so, that the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. It okay. doesn't talk about what the, the trigger mechanism is. So that's where I get a little confused because you're talking about how gun rights can get eaten away and just over time, like, you know, eventually they'll start coming for guns. Um, but when it comes to, you already have restrictions on fully automatic firearms mm -hmm. and those restrictions seem to do a successful job at keeping them out of the hands of wannabe terrorists or mass murderers. Um, and when you have other laws that have been in effect recently in the nineties, none of those led to the dystopian future that you're predicting of the government coming and knocking on your door and taking your guns away. It like we've had reasonable gun laws that I, I personally don't feel that fully automatic firearm restrictions violate the second amendment. I, I think that that is, you know, well within the powers of the federal government to do, but regardless, the, the idea that there can be no gun laws because any gun law then automatically violates the second amendment, that to me is a very radical position and much more the direction that our country has been moving versus the dystopian future that you outlined of government actually coming for your guns, which I don't ever actually see happening because when we have reasonable gun laws, that has never led to anything so restrictive as what you're describing. See, and I, I love how you use the word reasonable, and that's how these things, that's that's how these, these infringements and restrictions come down the pike, because it's reasonable. And it would be unreasonable for anybody to suggest otherwise. And what about all of the things that are already on the books? Um, it's not really affecting anything now. See, that's the problem. Law-abiding gun owners are going to abide by the law. And, and for the last, uh, you know, 245 years that we've been around, they have. Um, you've got uh, millions of members of the NRA and different gun organizations. These are law-abiding citizens. These are not the people. These are not your criminals. Criminals are going to get weapons no matter what. And even if you uh, eliminated, uh, and I'm a history buff, uh, there, there were such topics back in uh, the days of the Roman Republic. There were actually sword laws, if you can believe that one. So this is not a, this is not a, a new conversation. It's weaponry. And our founding fathers understood that the Second Amendment is there to protect the people from a tyrannical government. That is the first and foremost, that is the priority of the Second Amendment. It, it allows the people to carry the teeth, if you will, if their government ever turned against them. And being able to go out and hunt with them or self-defense, those are all just uh, benefits, uh, side benefits, other than what the actual intent of the founders for the second amendment was all about. And so if you have a military now, which is under the, the authority of the federal government and they have access to fully automatic firearms, then the public should also have access to fully automatic firearms. Um, the military Ooh. should not have, the military should not have at any, at any time whatsoever, uh, any more flexibility or freedom to carry any type of weapon than the public when it comes to firearms. Now, I'm not talking about RPGs. I'm not talking okay. about, I'm talking about firearms. Okay. So if, if you have a people now that are saying, okay, um, the government is totally out of control. It's totally gone to tyranny, which is what the founders were worried about. And they even predicted would happen. The people now are going to be faced with, uh, it would be the equivalent of sticks and stones versus, um, you know, a, a, a muzzle loader, if you want to, if you want to do it that way. Okay. So the people should have the opportunity and there's no reason, there's no reason, especially if somebody that uh, is a gun collector or any, anything else, what is the difference between a fully, a fully automatic firearm or a semi-automatic firearm? Because one bullet's going to kill just the same. So um, again, it's just your, your comment, well, reasonable gun laws, 
Um, that's how it's sold to the people. Well, it's reasonable. Um, so we're going to get rid of high capacity magazines. Then it's going to be, well, we're going to get rid of anything that holds more than three shelves. Um, we're going to get rid of this. We're going to get rid of that. And before long, you've got a whole line of, of firearms that are totally illegal because they uh, don't fit the criteria or one box or two or boxes are checked with these new reasonable firearm laws. Which is and that's what, what we, we had in the 90s, which I don't view as a dystopia. But regardless, let's go back to, because you had mentioned law-abiding citizens versus criminals. Mm-hmm. And what I, I want to hear kind of addressed is when you eliminate all gun laws, everybody's a law-abiding citizen up until the point they pulled the trigger. Well, you and have so, one major, you, you have, you have one major gun law and that's true. And so here's, I know where you're going to go with this. Here's, here's the root of the problem. The people that are shooting other po- folks up are going to soft targets like schools or stadiums or concerts. Um, these are people that we have a mental health crisis in this country. We don't have a gun problem. We have a mental health problem and that is systemic across this entire country. And it's really bad here in Michigan. So we need to be focusing on that. You also have, you've got, and I have no doubts. We still don't, we have sleeper cells of terrorists that are in this country um, that have been here for a long time. So you've got nefarious actors out there that are looking for a reason, but most of these, these people that have gone into either the nightclubs or uh, concerts or schools, um, these are whacked out folks. We have a mental health crisis that needs to be addressed. Okay. We don't have a gun problem. And you've but got, the, you've got, you've got over 300 million firearms. At the, the, the true number is unknown. You've got over 300 million firearms in this country. And so if, if, uh, if these new reasonable laws that you're suggesting um, go into effect, that's only going to affect those people who legally own those 300 plus million firearms. It does not matter to a criminal who's going to go out and do immense damage. But if a criminal wants to go out and plan for a mass shooting and they are committing crimes in the process, then it's a law enforcement problem of you know catching the criminal having committed those crimes prior to them starting their mass shooting. If you don't have any gun laws, nobody's a criminal until the mass shooting begins. And well, so- here's the thing, and this is and this is and this is why I encourage everybody to go out and, and and buy a firearm and get trained on a firearm, because if you've got even if it's in your own home, if you've got somebody that's trying to break in or it's a an armed robbery or anything else. Uh, you know, police are going to take minutes to get to you when, when seconds count. And okay. so, you know, but that's again, responding to an attack that has begun. Sure. And so, everybody has so that in right. Your, in your governing <laughs> philosophy, there is no prevention of a mass shooting. There is no prevention of an actual killing. It's only responding to it once it occurs. And your ideal is to have the populace self-armed so that way they can respond and kill the bad guy that started shooting. But but I would prefer to live in a country because it's, you know, around the world, this is exists where you don't have mass shootings start because laws are in place to catch the criminals before they start, they pull the trigger because they're a criminal. You mean like they, you, you mean like they had in Paris a couple of years ago with some of the most restrictive gun laws in Europe? You mean that mass shooting? How about in Chicago? How about, <laughs> how about, how about, hold on. How about in the city of Chicago where they have the most restrictive gun laws in the entire country and it is an absolute war zone. So I don't see, that's the problem. You, all you're going to do is disarm the citizenry with no. these reasonable gun laws. I'm not um, asking to disarm the citizenry. Well, but that's where it goes. I'm asking, when, okay. So in, cause with what you want the gun laws to be, where not even fully automatic firearms are restricted. So, if I wanted to be a terrorist, I could go out, easily acquire a fully automatic firearm, fully get 20 of them, plan another mm-hmm. Las Vegas shooting type event, just sure. go there. And until I've pulled the trigger, I'm still a law abiding citizen that right. the law enforcement can't stop. And so right. I then open up fire and see how many I can get before the police stop me. And here's that's the, the world that here's, we live in? Here's, 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 the, here's the point that you're missing, though. 
these people pick targets that they know are unarmed. They pick schools, they pick concerts, or they pick areas or cities where they know that there's restrictive gun laws where people are going to follow the law in most cases and, and they're not going to carry or they're not going to have any type of protection. And that's the targets they pick. So I tell you what, to end most of these, these whack jobs um, that, and I'm not a profiler, but I would imagine the vast majority don't want to die. They want to continue being the sickos that they are. Um, and so they don't pick targets that they know are going to fire back. And so if you have to, um, if, if, if schools have to have security forces, and unfortunately this is the world we live in because of the nasty things that are on our social media that are in our main media, our kids grow up with terrible violence all the time. And then you get these people and then you have the left out there inciting people that are crazed and kooky. Uh, go out and get a, a firearm. See, again, the, the issue is, is mental health. You've got to have a way to protect yourself. And the only way that you're going to protect yourself is not by disarming the people. The only way that you're going to protect the people is to arm the people, train them how to use their firearms and make sure that there's no more soft targets. And if somebody does start firing in a church or any place else, they're not going to live very long because they're going to have four or five bullets coming back at them, if not more. That's unfortunately, yes, that's the world we live in, but it isn't created by guns or lack of gun laws. It's not created by the Second Amendment. It's created because people are spun out, they're nervous, they're upset, and it's a constant barrage 24 hours a day, seven days a week on social media, in our mainstream media all the time. We didn't have that 50 years ago. We didn't have that 30 years ago. We have it now, and now we see a whole lot more people that are out there doing a lot of stupid stuff because of it. So that's, that's the bigger picture here. It, guns are, again, are not the problem. It takes right. the finger behind the trigger. We have, we are wildly apart on this one. Let, I want to see, can we at least agree on background checks? Do you agree with the concept of background checks? We already have background checks. Okay. Do you agree with the idea that if I were to provide a firearm to somebody who would not pass a background check, should I, as the provider, be culpable or liable uh, or having, having committed a crime? If, if it's a stranger that I just met online and I didn't do a background check on them and I gave them a firearm, but that person would not have passed a background check had I done one, should it be that I've committed a crime? No, no. Now, does it mean that you're not uh, in some way negligent uh, for not doing due diligence uh, in a civil matter? Probably. But criminally, no. Okay. If I were to provide a beer to somebody that I just some random stranger, if I gave him alcohol and I did not do a background check of checking his age and it turned out to be a minor, should I be criminally liable? Um, in that case, probably, yes. Why one and not the other? Why is it if I'm giving something to somebody who can't legally have it? Why is because it because I'm committing because, a crime because, if it's alcohol, but I'm not committing a crime if it's a fully right. automatic firearm in your world? Because first of all, looking at somebody physically and trying to determine their age, most people you can tell uh, if they're, they, they look a little bit young, maybe your, your, your spidey senses are tingling that maybe you should ask them before you hand them a beer. Um, but to, to have any idea on somebody's true mental state uh, or any type of a criminal background, that is an impossibility for you to determine. Uh, if you were to loan a firearm to somebody. Now, I would say that if you just met somebody on the street and they asked you to borrow a firearm and you gave it to them, uh, that just makes you stupid. But why um, should that be, what's wrong with having that be criminal? What is so bad about that being a crime? If you acknowledge it's stupid and bad for society, why mm -hmm. can't we make that criminal? Well, then you'd have a, you'd, you'd have a whole lot of people in jail. Because there's a lot of stupid people that would do some stupid things. A lot of stupid people are out there giving guns to people who wouldn't pass background checks. No, no, no. Okay. But your your hypothesis, first of all, your 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 argument here is kind of a red herring argument. But what you're saying is that if you just met somebody on the street and you gave them a firearm because they asked to borrow it, first of all, I don't believe that ever happens. But but if it did happen. Um, then, then you're just an, you're an idiot, and that would open you up to any type of civil lawsuits. I'm sure that you would be paying through the nose to hire attorneys to represent you in court. But from a criminal standpoint, no, I, I absolutely not. I 
I, because there's no possible way that you're going to be able to, to determine uh, if we're if we're going to use your argument. Let's just pretend that you knew the person for uh, a month. Maybe they're maybe they're a, a, a co-inhabitant of a house that you're renting, and you know you go out to the shooting range and you're shooting with them. And for all intents and purposes, they're just a normal person. And they ask to borrow a firearm to go to the shooting range, and instead they go down and shoot up a school. Does that make you a criminal? No. Should you be prosecuted for that? Absolutely not, because you if would have no way of knowing what's in the their background head. check. If the person wouldn't have passed the background check, how would you have known? That's why there should be the same burden that is on me as just somebody who's giving out beer at a party. That same burden should be on me as somebody who's just giving out firearms to people that I, you know, met on the internet because they wanted to buy my gun. Like, I, I don't understand how society is harmed from that restriction on me any more so than I'm harmed by potentially being liable if I gave a minor beer and who, how, which hurts society more, a minor getting a beer or a person who wouldn't pass a background check getting a fully automatic firearm. Well, again, you, it's two it's two separate arguments entirely, two different sets of circumstances. And again, the background check is only going to determine if the person has a criminal record at that point in time. And here's the other thing, too. And I think this is something that needs to be looked at in each state. For instance, if you are a convicted felon in the state of Michigan, you can never legally go purchase a firearm uh, in states like Texas. Um, if you have served your time. And after a period, I believe it's five years, you can then go back and legally purchase a firearm, provided that the, the felony that you committed was not a violent felony. Um, and I know there's a lot of people that would disagree on this issue, too. But if you are if, if you've committed a, a felony in the past and you served your time and it wasn't some kind of a if it wasn't, let's say, a, a shooting crime, um, you should have your Second Amendment rights reinstated. Do you also feel that way for voting rights? I'm talking about gun gun rights I, here. No, no, but do you also feel the same should apply for voting rights? Just out of, I mean, to harken back to our yeah. Opinion. I mean, if you if, if if you if you've served your time, yeah. If you're incarcerated, then no. You you know, and this is the thing right. too oh, that yeah. if 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 you're incarcerated, you you have given up your your rights. I mean, that that's right. just that's part of the course. So should should uh, felons that are in jail be voting? No. Um, but yeah, if you've served your time, you've paid your debt to society then I believe that your constitutional rights should be reinstated. And if I, there's a period okay. of time. Common ground. Good. Yep. <laughs> we got a little bit more there. Um, I, would you want to uh, discuss the Derek Chauvin trial at all since that, I mean, just came back yesterday, the uh, verdict? Um, I've actually I, I've, yeah. I've actually got to get to my next meeting, but oh, I will say okay. this. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, I kind of figured this, this would come up first in our conversation since it's uh, the hot topic. Uh, this is one of those things, again, that it's um, – it's unfortunate how politicized this whole thing's been. Um, I have been asked, well, do you, do you agree with the verdict? And my, my answer to that is honestly, uh, I, I don't know because I don't think that uh, any of this was fair. Um, you know, it's with, with what we're seeing with uh, what Nancy Pelosi's comments today and Maxine Waters and all of the, the, the publicity. I don't think there's any way in the world that you could have had a fair trial to start with. Um, if this wasn't a question of whether a law was broken, which would be decided by a judge, this is decided by a jury. Um, and it's just, it's unfortunate how, how politically charged this whole thing is. You know, we have, we've, 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 we've got a situation with uh, George Floyd, who is used by uh, BLM on the left to promote a cause. And then you have this police officer, whether he was in the wrong or not, um, who has been made the poster child for defund the police and it's terrible and it's unfortunate. And so, I mean, that's my position. I, I you know, I, was the verdict good or was it not? I, I really don't know. I, I don't think that it was a fair, I don't think there was any possible way that this man could have had a fair trial at this well, point. Well, you don't, you don't feel that justice was served from the trial, even with if the mon with, it may, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't again with, with the way this was, um, uh, politicized to the degree that it was, it was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know. I've, I've seen the videos, I've seen the evidence, uh, you know, I, 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 it, it's, it's supercharged the argument that, that, uh, there's systemic racism within, uh, police forces around the country and it's totally incorrect. I know a lot of great cops 
and they go out there and they risk their lives every single day. And, you know, their feeling is there, a lot of them have, have quit a lot, a lot of, a lot of police around this country uh, are refusing to go into some of these cities or the, or the officers are leaving or they can't recruit new officers because um, they're automatically, when they put on that uniform, they're demonized. And that's unfortunate. And that's sad. You know, it's, um, they are that thin blue line that separates chaos from civility. Okay. Well, I, I, yeah, we'll let you get to your uh, next point. I, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I Absolute really appreciate pleasure. it. Yeah. And I also wanted it. to um, wish your wife good luck. I saw that she had filed for Howell city council and I filed for Brighton city council. So we'll both be uh, well. good luck to you too. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, until next time, everybody uh, let's uh, keep it civil. <laughs>